there are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are our top stories. Israel entering a new phase of the ground operation in Gaza with the South likely in focus. And the UN says they can't send food to Gaza. What's the latest on the war zone? President Biden's classified documents case. Reports say the commander in chief will not be charged. Find out what he's expected to face instead of charges. Some TikTokers are praising a letter written by Osama bin Laden after the 9-11 attacks. How presidential candidate Nikki Haley is using that for her campaign. The cost of illegal immigration hitting New York City hard. Mayor Eric Adams calls the budget cuts to police, education and more the most painful exercise of his professional life. For the first time, prisoners in the U.S. have received degrees from one of the country's top 10 universities. What to know about Northwestern University's prison education program? Japanese baseball fans celebrate Major League Baseball's first two-time unanimous MVP. Proud that one of their own earned the recognition in the sport's most competitive league. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis, and inspiration to power your day. Now for our top stories. Israel says the body of a second Israeli hostage was found near Al-Shifa Hospital today. She's been identified as 19-year-old Noah Marciano, a corporal in the Israeli Defense Forces. Israel's military says her body has been transferred to Israeli territory. The IDF said yesterday it had found the body of a 65-year-old Israeli woman who was kidnapped. As Israeli forces make gains in the northern part of Gaza, they're preparing for the next phase of ground operations. In the last day, we completed the takeover and clearing of the entire western part of Gaza City. The next phase has begun. We have started the next phase. The IDF's chief of staff said they are, quote, close to dismantling the military system in the northern Gaza Strip. Palestinians in part of southern Gaza said they received evacuation notices today. 
As Israel prepares for the next phase of the campaign, Gaza is now cut off from the outside world. The territory's telecom provider said all, tele all communication services are down across the Gaza Strip due to a lack of fuel. The United Nations said today they were forced to stop sending food and other essentials to Gaza amid a communication blackout. Israeli officials say the country's war cabinet has approved letting two fuel trucks into Gaza per day to help meet the UN's needs. Hate on college campuses in the wake of the October 7th Hamas terror attacks. The Department of Education has launched investigations into seven schools after complaints about alleged anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The investigations include five anti-Semitism cases and two Islamophobia cases. The reports come from one K-12 school in Kansas and six colleges, including Cornell, Columbia and Cooper Union in New York. The Department of Education will make recommendations to the schools after the investigation. If they don't follow them, they could lose federal funding. The investigations were launched under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which says universities and schools have to provide a discrimination-free environment. The U.S. is giving attention to two of its most important Asian allies. President Biden met with the Japanese Prime Minister and the South Korean President yesterday. The meeting took place on the sidelines of the APEC summit in San Francisco. Three leaders posed for a photograph together before leaving without making remarks. The brief meeting comes three months after the leaders met at Camp David in August for talks. During the APEC summit, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida voiced his concerns about the Chinese regime. It came after his meeting with regime leader Xi Jinping yesterday. I also expressed my serious concern about China's increased military activities around Japan, including its cooperation with Russia, and stressed that peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait is extremely important for the international community, including Japan. Kishida's talks with the Chinese dictator lasted roughly an hour. They agreed to continue pursuing, quote, a strategic, mutually beneficial relationship between the two countries. It's a policy that Japan and China agreed to 15 years ago. But the Japanese leader also said there was little progress on pending issues such as China's ban on Japanese seafood, maritime activities in the East China Sea, and an arrest of a Japanese citizen on spy allegations. No charges against President Biden expected. Multiple outlets report Biden won't face legal repercussions for keeping classified documents in his possession. The reports say he's likely only to face harsh criticism. The Wall Street Journal and CNN report that special counsel Robert Hur is not planning on charging Biden for keeping the documents. Hur and his team are reportedly working on a report summarizing the findings of their lengthy investigation. The report is expected to criticize Biden, but her likely plans to stop short of bringing charges. His report might come out before the end of the year. This comes after the special counsel's team issued multiple subpoenas, conducted interviews and more. The journal also reports that her recently interviewed Hunter Biden as part of the investigation into his father. Hunter Biden named his father's home as his address when classified documents were stored at the residence. Meanwhile, there is an update in a separate case regarding Hunter Biden. Special counsel prosecutors are using a California grand jury 
That's according to a CNN report citing unnamed sources. The grand jury will be appointed in a federal investigation into the younger Biden's business dealings. It appears the case mainly focuses on Hunter's alleged failure to pay taxes. The president's brother, James Biden, reportedly received a subpoena in the case. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley now defending her proposed social media reform. She's previously said people should have to disclose their real names when creating social media accounts. Some are criticizing her for that, calling it government overreach. Here's Haley on Fox News defending her stance. I have long said that we have to ban TikTok. And if you didn't know why, there's another example today. You have got, they are posting letters of Osama bin Laden's letter the week after the 9-11 attacks. And it is the justification for why he did it. This comes as Americans on TikTok this week dug out a writing by bin Laden justifying the 9-11 attacks, as you just heard. Some are now praising the letter's message. Haley previously defended her idea to disclose names by saying people would think twice before posting something if their real names were disclosed. She said it would get rid of foreign bots. Nations such as China, Russia and Iran often use the bots online to sway public opinion in the U.S. and manipulate people. In other news, regarding the presidential candidate, Haley secured multiple wins this week. She picked up key endorsements, emerged as the winner against President Biden in a new New Hampshire poll, and won a mock Iowa caucus. The influential Young Republican National Federation staged the mock caucus. Also this week, a bipartisan poll showed her beating out President Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. A TikTok ban is back on the menu. Lawmakers are responding to a post on the China-owned video sharing platform. The post promoted a letter by Osama bin Laden. That letter justified the 9-11 terror attack like we were talking about before. We, spoke with the, we speak with the author of Understanding the China Threat about China's use of TikTok to advance its global ambitions. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for joining us. Calls to ban TikTok are re-emerging in the U.S. after a letter by Osama bin Laden addressed to America went viral on that app. What else undergirds the argument for a ban on TikTok? Well, it's my pleasure to join you uh, today. Uh, I, I think that Americans are recognizing um, with uh, the bin Laden letter and its circulation uh, on TikTok how dangerous TikTok is. If they didn't realize uh, it before, uh, Americans are waking up, as other countries are, uh, to the fact that uh, TikTok is a weapon in uh, political warfare used by the Chinese regime against peoples, against nations, against countries uh, around the world. So. TikTok shows that a bad idea like the bin Laden letter and its support can circulate very rapidly. And that shows how um, through that dangerous medium, uh, 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 essentially uh, American values, uh, norms, our political culture and our elections uh, can be undermined. Now, what kind of control does the CCP have over the content shared on TikTok in the first place? Well, they control ByteDance, and ByteDance owns TikTok, and so they control uh, the, the algorithms. They uh, uh, are able to identify what will, the content will be, uh, as well as what content is privileged, what content is emphasized, and what content is uh, suppressed. 
uh, as uh, individuals have recognized, right? There's TikTok in China, uh, where it's a very, it's a virtuous uh, medium uh, versus TikTok in the rest of the world, where it's a weapon uh, to be used against governments, peoples, uh, in the interest of uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Anti-American and anti-Israel content is rampant on, rampant on the app, not just with this one letter we're talking about by Osama bin Laden. Do you think this is intentional? You kind of touched on this a little bit before, but... Absolutely, it's intentional. Uh, again, it's, it, it's a weapon. It was forged uh, as a weapon to be employed against uh, the West, against the enemies of the uh, Chinese Communist Party. And so uh, the medium and the fact that it's so popular among Americans, right? I mean, it's, it's there are very estimates, but at least 70 million uh, Americans are using it and so many hundreds of millions uh, globally show that what they have done is given um, uh, direct contact to the Chinese Communist Party for the values that it wants to spread, for uh, the messages it wants to advance, and for the influence it wants uh, to project. And so as Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley uh, and so many others have emphasized uh, in Congress, and, and as the Trump administration attempted to do, uh, it should be banned in the U.S. Now, you've compared TikTok to Soviets the Soviets from Tsarist Russia. That might sound like a pretty, pretty big stretch for some of our audience. How do you argue that? Well, sure. A Soviet was created by, uh, in the wake of the 1905 Russian Revolution by the Tsar. Tsar's uh, government saw it as a symbol of progress. They were essentially going to allow councils, working men's councils, uh, as a step forward uh, in terms of establishing workers' rights. Soviets were corrupted immediately by the Bolsheviks, by communists and by socialists to be used against the czar. So what have we done? Well, TikTok is a Soviet. What it is, it's something that people see as a tool to be used. They want to download it onto their phone and it's used against them. It steals their data, it steals their information, and it serves as a conduit uh, for the most odious regime uh, uh, in, uh, in international politics. And so in that sense, uh, it is. And what I suggest in the piece is that we need to do that to the CCP. We need a TikTok in reverse. Uh, as they're employing that against us as a tool of political warfare, so too we need to devise mechanisms against them. And what would those mechanisms look like? Well, those mechanisms could be uh, a te technological, uh, certainly an app uh, that would be the equivalent of TikTok. But what's far more significant would be to break down the Great Firewall, allow people living within China to access the Internet freely. Uh, and that would be the most effective tool. If that can be done, uh, then when p the Chinese people are able to access the Internet freely, uh, the CCP's days will be, uh, uh, will be numbered. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure. Thank you. After the break, Chicago imposes a 60-day shelter limit for illegal immigrants. People are already camping in airports as temperatures drop. Find out what the new measure means. People in Alabama lost the money due to online scams over the past year. How did other states rank in the report from cybersecurity analysts at VPN Pro? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today.
Welcome back. As the Republican primary field gets smaller, candidate Ron DeSantis is picking up supporters from South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who recently dropped out of the race. South Carolina has the first primary in the South on February 24th of next year. DeSantis today received 10 endorsements in South Carolina from former backers of Scott. They include two state representatives, as well as more than half a dozen municipal-level elected officials. They had backed Scott before he shuttered his bid earlier this month. Both DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley are trying to pick up supporters and donors from Scott's campaign. DeSantis's campaign says he has a total of 68 endorsements from elected officials in South Carolina, and they say that's more than any other presidential candidate. Meanwhile, former President Trump has the endorsements of South Carolina's Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Senator Lindsey Graham, and several members of the state's U.S. House delegation. Voting rights groups are challenging the constitutionality of Missouri's new voter ID law. The law requires voters to present a photo ID to cast a regular ballot. People without a government-issued photo ID can cast provisional ballots if they return later that day with a photo ID. They can also vote if election officials can verify their signatures. The law requires the state to provide a free photo ID to those who need one. The Missouri League of Women Voters, NAACP, and two voters sued to overturn the law last year. The plaintiffs argue the law makes casting ballots unconstitutionally difficult for some voters. The National Conference of State Legislatures reports that 36 states request or require identification to vote. Arguments will be heard starting today. And in New York, an appeals court has temporarily lifted former President Trump's gag order in his civil case. Meanwhile, Trump's legal team moves for a mistrial in the same case, alleging prejudice by the judge, Arthur Engeron. And the state's attorney general, Letitia James, asks Engeron for a December deadline on that decision. Earlier today, I sp spoke with former Brooklyn assistant attorney general, Mark Ruskin, who's also a retired FBI agent, for his insights. Mark, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. To begin with, Trump's lawyers argue that there is apparent and actual bias justifying a mistrial in his New York civil fraud trial case. From your experience, how crucial is the perception of bias in high-profile cases like this and cases of this nature in general? Well, first, hello, Steph, and thank you for inviting me. The uh, issue of, uh, in the mistrial, such as uh, the motion that's been filed here, the appearance of any kind of uh, impropriety or prejudice on the parts of any of the court officers is very significant and will weigh very heavily. In this particular case, we have a, it's a civil trial, so the standards and the, the levels of proof which have to be met are different than they would be in a, a criminal case. And, but I have to note that it would be highly unusual for a misgranted at this stage of the proceedings. And what do you make of the arguments by the defense in their motion for a mistrial, especially in regards to these arguments about the judge's clerk's impropriety? Well, the arguments are very legitimate arguments, and the uh, uh, behavior of the clerk has been unusual, to say the least, and has demonstrated, I would suggest, a high degree of uh, bias on her part and on the part of the court as well. 
I would suggest, however, that the purpose of the motion is probably more to preserve the issue for appeal than to have a real uh, realistic expectation that the mistrial would be granted at this stage of the proceedings. But by raising it now, it's preserved for an appeal later on, should it be needed. I see. And what kinds of factors would the courts consider when they're looking at this motion for a mistrial? Well, there are a number of factors which would be weighed by, an, uh, by the decider of fact here. And uh, one would be the you know, actual imp uh, impact of the actual impropriety that's been perceived, the behavior that's being critiqued, and uh, its likely effect on uh, the decider of fact. Now, in this case, you don't have a jury. Uh, it's a bench trial, so the uh, prejudice could be argued that, that the prejudice is not as great as had there been a jury present to be influenced, because in this case, uh, there is no jury to be influenced. So it wouldn't be quite the same situation as had there been a full jury trial. And would you say that mistrial requests due to perceived uh, bias or procedural issues commonly succeed in high-profile cases such as this? The, the, there's a very high bar that needs to be met in order to have a mistrial. You know, generally, the uh, higher courts prefer to wait until the case has been decided before intervening with their own uh, determinations. So I would say that the point of the uh, motion for mistrial, it might be more to highlight all of these issues for the public as well as for the court uh, personnel who are deciding the case. Because this, this is a public motion. It shows the public what's been going on and highlights it in a, an important way. And considering the recent decision by the appeals court to temporarily lift the gag order on Trump, how might this development influence the ongoing proceedings and also in particular in the context of these, this mistrial motion? Well, in one case, it may have an effect in terms of causing the judge who's deciding, who's overseeing the case, to moderate his behavior because Judges really do not like it when their decisions are overruled by a higher court. There's a, uh, an emotional aspect here and a, a personal aspect that they don't like to be shown to have made an erroneous decision. So it's likely that he will be more careful about decisions he makes in the future in order to avoid further uh, rulings which uh, you know, contradict the uh, rulings that he himself has personally made. In the context of the motion for a, a mistrial, it, again, it will cause the, uh, the trial court judge to be more careful in his decisions and in his determinations, and probably also to be more careful about trying to justify his rulings and to find uh, articulate reasons for reaching the decisions that he does make. Mark Ruskin, retired FBI agent and former Brooklyn assistant DA, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Quality of life taking a hit. 
Mayor Eric Adams says New York's illegal immigrant crisis has forced the city to slash school, police and library budgets. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the move critics are calling dangerous. Speaking at a town hall event, Adams said that over 140,000 illegal immigrants have come to the city so far and that New York is out of room. People say, well, Eric, why don't you close the door? Why don't you stop allowing people to come in? I can't. That's against the law. New York has been a sanctuary city since the 1980s. That's a city that limits or refuses to cooperate with the national government on immigration law enforcement. I believe New Yorkers believe in plain talk and honesty. We're in, we're, we're in some serious financial trouble right now. According to the mayor, the federal government should be picking up the multi-billion dollar tab from the illegal immigrant influx. Should not be coming out of the backs of everyday New Yorkers. That is wrong, and that is what is happening. The mayor says every agency in the city will be hit by the cuts. I got to be honest about that. I'm not going to give any false impressions. This is the most painful exercise I've ever done in my professional life. Officials estimate the budget cuts will take 4,000 police off the streets over the next two years, a move surely to anger residents like this woman already feeling overwhelmed by crime. There is a huge problem with drug sales, drug trafficking, and shootings, especially in the evenings and on the weekends. There are mentally ill drug users that are surrounding these neighborhoods, menacing the people on the blocks outside and attempting to get into the apartment buildings. The New York Times reports that the Education Department budget will take a billion dollar hit over two years and two popular programs, Universal Pre-Kindergarten and Summer School, will be hobbled. Libraries say they will have to shut down on Sundays due to the budget slashing. New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams says the cuts are blunt and careless. She called out the administration for providing services for the illegal immigrants using expensive emergency contracts with for-profit companies. Mayor Adams says the immigrant crisis will cost about $11 billion over the next two years and that the 2024 budget already has a $7 billion hole in it. City officials say the cuts will go into effect immediately. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Illegal immigrants seeking asylum in Chicago will be limited to 60 days in the city's shelters. Mayor Brandon Johnson announced the new measure Wednesday to go in effect today. On the front end, you know, we have to make sure that we are um, setting up these newly arrivals with the best opportunity to be successful. On the back end, part of the investments that uh, the state uh, will be uh, providing is to expand a more expedited process uh, for them to be resettled. Chicago is just one of several Democrat-run cities experiencing a surge in illegal immigrant arrivals. Border states such as Texas have been busing illegal immigrants north. Some have criticized the move as a political stunt, but critics of the Biden administration's border and immigration policies say it highlights the crisis that the border states are facing. How Chicago plans to enforce the new policy is unclear. Many illegal immigrants in Chicago are already staying in police stations and airports. The new plan also includes stricter measures about when and where buses can drop people off. The state of Illinois is giving Chicago $160 million to aid illegal immigrants as the cold of winter sets in.
A new report found that Alabama lost the money due to online scams over the past year. Cybersecurity experts with VPN Pro analyzed FBI data on cybercrime. Analysts compared the total monetary losses against the number of victims in each state. Alabama was scammed the most with about 50,000 in losses per victim over the last 12 months. New York took second place with almost 40,000 per victim. Massachusetts came in third with nearly 29,000 in losses. VPN Pro found that Vermont was the safest state in the country to avoid scammers. Residents in the Green Mountain State only lost about $6,000 per targeted individual. Indiana was second safest, while West Virginia took third place. Repairs to an elevated Los Angeles freeway following an arson fire are moving faster than expected. California Governor Gavin Newsom said all lanes are scheduled to reopen by next Tuesday. That simply is due to the extraordinary work, again, of the folks you see behind me. Um, we've doubled what we've doubled. We've doubled the crews. We've doubled down uh, on uh, our, our efforts here, the materials and supplies. Earlier this week, officials said it could take crews three to five weeks. An estimated 300,000 vehicles use the stretch of freeway daily. More than 250 people worked to repair the mile-long damage to Interstate 10. Saturday's blaze burned about 100 support columns. The fire spread rapidly over eight acres. Pallets, cars, construction material, hand sanitizer, and other items stored under the freeway fueled the blaze. No injuries were reported and no arrests have been made. An investigation is ongoing. An Ohio man has pleaded not guilty to charges of abducting and beating a woman while she was confined for four days in a residential garage last month. William Mozingo was arraigned yesterday on charges of kidnapping, felonious assault, abduction and unlawful restraint. He's been held without bond since his October arrest due to a parole violation. The abducted woman was found after a resident called Archon Police and said a friend had a woman in their outdoor garage who appeared to be injured. Relatives say she suffered facial fractures, brain bleed, a broken arm and finger injuries. Republicans probing the Biden administration over proposed regulation, a menthol cigarette ban. We speak with Javier Palomares, president and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council for his take on the controversial bill. Javier Palomares, thank you so much for joining us. Yesterday, House Republicans announced they're probing the Biden administration over its proposed menthol cigarette ban. You're critical of this ban. Tell us why. Well, I tell you, first of all, I want to say that, you know, it's commendable of the administration to try to help people stop smoking. This is obviously a good the reality of it is uh, prohibition doesn't work. Bans don't work. Uh, this ban would have a of unintended consequences that ultimately would disproportionately impact America's small business community and, frankly, communities of color. And what would those kind of impacts be? Well, as it turns out, if you if you look at the economic impact of this ban, uh, right now, um, cigarette sales make up about 35% of all sales in convenience stores. Um, menthol cigarette sales make up about 30% uh, of top line sales and 10% of margins at our convenience stores. 
Uh, if you pass this ban in this fashion, uh, you will impact over 600,000 jobs in the industries from agriculture all the way to retail. Uh, you will also cost about $45 billion in wages for those people, those Americans who are employed in these industries. And then ultimately, you will take away um, billions, I'm sorry, millions of dollars from uh, badly needed, critically needed uh, tax revenue that's derived from the sale of these cigarettes. Look, bans, we've tried this before. Canada tried a ban on menthol cigarettes. It didn't work. Massachusetts tried a ban. California tried a ban. In the case of those states, they lost millions of dollars of tax revenue. Uh, small yeah. businesses lost hundreds of thousands of businesses, and smoking levels did not change one bit. We've tried this before. It's failed, and we don't understand why this administration won't listen to America's small business community. And Javier, what about the impact on individual convenience stores? I mean, a lot of these stores sell cigarettes as a big part of their revenue. Yeah, you know, the National Association of Convenience Stores is telling us that this would have a very detrimental effect on these small businesses, convenience store owners, uh, and others. Uh, as you said, they, they uh, menthol cigarette sales account for about 30% of top line sales and 10% of gross margins. It, it is a real and it's significant impact on America's small business community. And in your view, should government have any role in discouraging unhealthy behavior at all? And if so, is it possible to do this and not hurt small businesses? I think it's commendable, again, that the administration, I think this is well-meant uh, legislation, if you will, but there needs to be some checks and balances. And that's the beauty of our system, right? Chairman Williams, Roger Williams uh, from Texas stepped in. He listened to our concern. Uh, through the Small Business Committee, they have called for an investigation, for hearings about the unintended consequences of the ban of this sort. So while, again, it's commendable, I think the administration would do well to listen to the American small business community, listen to Chairman Williams and the Small Business Committee, and let's find out what the real intent is and ultimately what the impacts are. At the end of the day, uh, the United States Hispanic Business Council believes that any American should be able to buy any product that is legally sold, uh, you know, responsibly marketed and legally manufactured. These products meet those requirements. And, um, and I think it's time now for us to look at the real in intended uh, consequence of, of a ban such of this sort. And Javier, your organization issued a statement Raising concerns about the menthol ban, potentially bolstering cartels and terrorist organizations. Elaborate on that for us. You know, as I mentioned, um, these bans have been tried before. They tried it in Massachusetts. It failed. They tried it in California. It failed. What we did find is that the cartels were more than happy to step in and begin selling illicit, illegal menthol cigarettes to consumers in those states. So the states lost millions in needed tax revenue. They lost hundreds of thousands of jobs. Uh, small stores and convenience stores lost hundreds of thousands of customers. And at the end of the day, the only people who benefited were the cartels who happily stepped in and started, started selling menthol cigarettes to consumers that wanted to smoke their cigarettes. Imagine a world where this administration is fine with selling marijuana and smoking pot 
but you know, making a menthol cigarette illegal. Imagine a world where you could go to jail for smoking a menthol cigarette, but getting stoned on pot is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. Javier Palomares, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Have a good day. Coming up, a new report on Russia abducting Ukrainian kids to re-educate them. Find out where the kids are allegedly being taken. Comedians in Russia are walking a fine line in a country at war, but those who have emigrated are keen to joke about President Putin. And the house where Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler was born will soon become a police station. A town in Austria is navigating its future as it weighs connections to Hitler. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. And now for a shift in gears, we have some short headlines from Russia, Finland and other European countries. A Kremlin spokesperson today saying he wants President Vladimir Putin to stay in power for another term. Dmitry Peskov says if Putin decides to run again, he'll surely win the election. Peskov was also asked what the next president after Putin should be like, to which he replied he should be exactly the same. Reports previously said Putin had already decided to run again. However, the reports are not confirmed. And the lower house of Russia's parliament approved a federal budget today. It devotes a record amount to defense. Russia says the budget was developed specifically to fund the Russian military. This would be the country's largest spending plan ever. Defense spending is expected to overtake social spending for the first time in modern Russian history next year. One expert suggests the budget is designed to prepare for a possible conflict with the West. Ukrainian kids forcibly taken to Belarus. Yale University published research saying over 2,400 children from Ukraine have been taken to facilities across Belarus. The children are believed to be between 6 and 17 years old. The report says this is an effort by Russia to re-educate Ukraine's children. Taking minors across a border without the parental consent is prohibited under international humanitarian law. The U.S. State Department said this is part of a broader campaign directed by Russia and that the U.S. will continue to pursue accountability. Finland is closing four Russian border crossings that's to stem a flow of people traveling through Russia to get to Finland. The four border crossings are normally the busiest points of the travel between the two countries. Finland will now place barriers in order to close the points. Some 300 asylum seekers have arrived in Finland this week. They're mostly from Iraq, Yemen, Somalia and Syria. The Finnish government accuses Russia of deliberately funneling people to the border. A charge Moscow has denied. The European Union will stop sending waste to countries that can't process it. Around half of the EU's waste exports previously went to countries with weaker waste management rules. EU lawmakers reached a deal to revise the bloc's waste shipment regulations. Exports of non-hazardous waste will be only be allowed to countries that treat the trash properly. EU countries must stop shipping plastic waste to poorer nations within two and a half years of the legislation coming into force. And lastly, a president's dog biting another president. The incident occurred when Austria's Alexander van der Bellen visited Moldova. 
Media reports say the two leaders were strolling in the courtyard when the dog bit Vanderbellen. Moldova's president apologized, saying the dog became frightened by large numbers of people nearby. Vanderbellen appeared with his hand bandaged at his next meeting. Dutch donors plan to provide 100 million tulips for Ukrainian schoolchildren. They hope the blooming flowers will help heal the children's war scars. Children are now planting tulips in front of their bombarded schools. Gardener vests, gloves and shovels. Children at a school in Irpin, a town near Kiev, are ready to plant tulip bulbs in front of this school. I'm planting tulips. I love it very much. It's exciting that the tulips will still be here when I grow up. That is great to know. Tulips are very beautiful flowers. When they bloom, everyone will come to our gates, look at our school and be delighted by the view. Russian forces occupied part of Irpin in March 2022 and bombarded the other part of the city for weeks trying to seize it. The school suffered from at least 20 shell and missile hits which destroyed the gym, concert hall, several classrooms and a small museum. There were huge holes in all the walls. I was frightened and I wanted to cry because I've been going to this school for four years and I know what it looked like before the war. It was very sad. I was in tears. I was very upset about what happened to the school because I love being here. The roof was tarnished in the old part of the building and our classroom was in shambles. Many chairs were torn apart. It was horrible. The school headmistress said the initiative will let the children see the birth of new life. They planted new life in the school. In the future, we will be able to feel this life, to see it, to be inspired by it, by these flowers, these tulips. The founder of the Flowers for Schools charity said he hoped planting the tulips would help children cope with the mental scars from the war. The events that happened in Ukraine made a huge impact on children in particular. What we can do is help them overcome and forget what they saw and the fear they felt at those moments. The tulip bulbs are provided by Dutch donors. They hope to see a hundred million flowers blooming in front of Ukrainian schools. Cracking jokes about Russia's president is a sensitive business these days in Moscow's comedy clubs. So the comedians lean more towards humor about men and women, relationships, and everyday topics. But for the comedians who have emigrated, they find jokes about Putin can draw the biggest laughs. The audience are entering a stand-up comedy club in Moscow, ready for a moment of relaxation. For comedians in Russia, they have to walk a fine line in a country at war. Now, in general, you can joke about any topic. It's important how exactly to do it so as not to hurt anyone's feelings or create conflicts in the room. He said the most popular topics before the war and remained popular now are about relationships, men and women and people. In any case, it's necessary to filter the content. But what I'm talking about is that you need to engage in self-editing, not wait for editing and censorship from someone higher up. 
but feel where this line is for yourself and understand what's allowed and what's not. For comedians who write jokes about politics, most of them have left Russia. That's exactly what the founders of Comigration did, a small collective of comedians who left Russia since Putin's invasion of Ukraine in 2022 and now ply their trade in Georgia. The feeling was that you finally had reached the point when you could do what you've been prohibited to do before. I've unleashed myself. I've allowed myself a little bit more liberty on the stage, like calling Putin a stinker. This group of comedians found any reference to Russian President Vladimir Putin in a joke boosts laughs by 70%. Laugh at him in order to shake him off the pedestal as some unattainable, important and scary person and make him look funny. And it turns out that this goal is achieved faster. This comedian herself was fined last year for discrediting the army in a social media post. In Russia, laws introduced since the invasion have made it a crime to discredit the armed forces or spread what the government considers false information about them. In Austria, the house and surrounding grounds where Adolf Hitler was born will soon become a police station. The decision by the Austrian Interior Ministry followed years of debate. Austrian authorities say they want to prevent the place from becoming a pilgrimage site for neo-Nazis. The police station will house up to 50 officers. Hitler was born in 1889 in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, or what's present-day Braunau, Austria. Nazi Germany annexed Austria in 1938, the first nation it annexed. But recent Austrian governments have recognized that Austrians were also perpetrators of Nazi crimes and that there was little resistance to Hitler's rule. Austrian officials say the Hitler family lived in the building in the 19th century, and the Nazi party bought the building in 1938 and converted it. It's an historical fact that Hitler was born in our city of Braunau, and it will stay that way and remain in Braunau's history books forever. I believe the city will never be able to totally avoid that. Coming up, for the first time, prisoners in the U.S. have received degrees from one of the country's top 10 universities. What to know about Northwestern University's prison education program? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. And this year's Beaujolais Nouveau wine was released in France. Wine lovers in Paris welcomed the red wine with great fanfare. We'll return with that and more after the break. For the first time, prisoners in the U.S. have received degrees from one of the country's top 10 universities. Michael Broadway was one of 16 incarcerated students to earn a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University. Here's his story. Students from Northwestern University's prison education program brim with pride as they file into an auditorium in Crest Hill, Illinois for their commencement ceremony. These 16 men are the first class of incarcerated students to receive bachelor's degrees from a top 10 university. Torian Jamal Decatur. It's a moving occasion for graduates and program faculty alike. 
Some wipe away tears as they watch graduates receive their diplomas. Among them is Michael Broadway, who spoke at the ceremony. So mother, this is my open apology to you and to my family. For every time the police kicked in that door, and for every time somebody shot into that home, I apologize. I know you, everything you ever wanted from me was to be the best version of myself. So I asked you, Mama, how did I do? Broadway has been incarcerated for nearly two decades at Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill. The 51-year-old overcame multiple setbacks to attain his degree, including battling stage four prostate cancer. After the ceremony, Broadway was at a loss for words. It's a feeling I never felt before. If I feel it again, I'll be able to describe it, give it a word. But right now, I have no words for it. Man. It's just otherworldly. Coming from where I came from, the things that I've been through and to be here is indescribable. Michael's mother, Elizabeth, hasn't been able to visit her son in prison due to illness. This is the first time she's seen him in almost 20 years. Well, I, I was a little shocked. I didn't think he would complete it, you know, but he did. He did. I'm just so proud of him. I really am. He looks so good in that uh, gown, cap. <laughs> he really looks good, yeah. Broadway's scheduled release is 2084. Lester, Lester Carroll. If he's able to be released before then, he plans to start a nonprofit focused on youth empowerment. Um, Since 2018, Northwestern has partnered with Oakton College and the Illinois Department of Corrections to offer credited courses to incarcerated students. Professor Jennifer Lackey is the program's founding director. I mean, 20 years ago, some of these guys were in rival gangs. You know, and here they are swapping poetry with each other and giving, you know, critical engagements on, soci you know, sociology assignments. And so I think that, um, you know, the, the love and growth um, that we see in the community um, is really unlike anything I've experienced uh, at the on-campus commencements. There are currently around 100 students enrolled in NPEP across Stateville Correctional Center and Logan Correctional Center, a women's prison in the state. Newly minted Northwestern graduate David Soto plans to continue his Anthony education Clifford. in law school. He hopes that this first class of incarcerated students is just the beginning. I'm not something special. There are many more like me, and I hope that they get the opportunity to be released as well so that we can showcase and perhaps really change the world. Research has found that moving your body more is the key to resolving chronic back pain. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body to break it down for us. People who run or walk regularly have healthier and stronger spinal discs than non-exercisers do. This is very reassuring because some doctors tell patients with back pain not to run. This is because they think that the jarring of the foot striking the ground will damage discs and injure backs, but there is no data to support such opinions. That said, if your back hurts when you run, you should stop running. Walking will offer much of the same benefits with less jarring. 
The vertebral bones of the spine are separated by pads called discs. These absorb the shock of hard exercise such as running or lifting weights. The nerves that supply your body branch out from the spine between the vertebral bones where the discs are located. With aging or inactivity, the discs weaken and can be squashed between the much tougher vertebral bones. A squashed disc can protrude between the vertebral bones and may pinch nerves which can cause excruciating pain. Scientists have known for a long time that a lack of exercise weakens muscles and bones, while exercise strengthens them. But until recently, no good studies have shown that exercise also strengthens discs. Some doctors believe that rapid movements and pressure will damage discs. But several animal studies have shown that a regular exercise program strengthens discs. It also makes discs larger and stronger and strengthens discs and rat spines. Here are some exercise tips to improve the health of your back. If you have back pain, you should check with your doctor for a specific diagnosis and treatment. Specific daily back exercises are the primary treatment for most causes of chronic back pain. Realize that some conditions can be worsened by exercise. If you have a condition that is treated with exercise, you should get instructions from a physical therapist who can teach you specific belly and back exercises and how to use exercise machines properly. Improper exercise can worsen your condition. Start off with very low resistance and stop immediately for the day if pain worsens. The best indicator of damage from exercise is pain. Listen to your body. And finally, try to exercise every day and don't do anything that increases pain in the injured area. Japan's Shohei Otani has become Major League Baseball's first two-time unanimous MVP. Japanese fans said they were proud that one of their own earned the recognition in the sport's most competitive league. For our generation, Otani is a star. I was very happy that he went to MLB and has been very successful there. And I am very happy that he won the MVP award for the second time. It's awesome. People in front of a Tokyo station were rushing to pick up Friday's morning's newspaper. Otani has played his entire MLB career with the Los Angeles Angels. Now he's a free agent. Some speculate he could land baseball's first $500 million contract. It's that time of year in France. Wine lovers in Paris welcomed the annual release of Beaujau Nouvet. The first wine of the 2023 season went on sale after midnight yesterday. Beaujolais Nouveau, Nouveau is a red wine made from grapes in France's Beaujolais region. It's released for sale annually on the third Thursday of November. A restaurant owner in Paris said that the quality of this year's Beaujolais Nouveau was exceptionally good due to a late heat wave in September that created a more condensed wine. By strict tradition, the first bottles are uncorked precisely at midnight to great fanfare. It allows us to celebrate too, because behind Beaujolais, there's more than just the product. Behind Beaujolais, there's celebration, and celebration is important. With Beaujolais, you have conviviality, you have sharing, and you have unity. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are our top stories. Congressman George Santos faces a fresh effort to expel him from Congress. The House is expected to vote when it returns from a two-week recess. President Biden's classified documents case. Reports say the commander-in-chief will not be charged. 
find out what he's expected to face instead of charges. Some TikTokers are praising a letter written by Osama bin Laden after the 9-11 attacks. How presidential candidate Nikki Haley is using that for her campaign. Missouri's new voter ID law is facing challenges. How the state is adapting to the law that requires a government-issued photo ID to cast a regular ballot. If you've ever considered buying a car on Amazon, well, soon you can. A new deal has been announced. Sri Lanka's top court finds its former president guilty of the country's worst financial crisis last year. What does, what, what does the ruling say? This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis and inspiration to power your day. Now for our top stories. Congressman George Santos faced a fresh effort to expel him from Congress today. Lawmakers suggested federal prosecutors should bring additional criminal charges against him. Ethics Committee Chairman Michael Guest introduced the bill targeting the first-term fellow Republican. Santos has been engulfed in scandal since his 2022 election. The 35-year-old previously pleaded not guilty to federal charges of laundering campaign funds to pay for personal expenses. The congressman is also accused of charging donors credit cards without permission. Santos has repeatedly refused to resign. The House is expected to vote on the expulsion effort when it returns from a two-week recess on November 28th. Republicans control the chamber with a narrow 20, 221 to 213 majority. A motion to expel requires two-thirds support in the House. As Israeli forces make gains in the northeast part of Gaza, they're preparing for the next phase of ground operations. In the last day, we completed the takeover and clearing of the entire western part of Gaza City. The next phase has begun. We have started the next phase. The IDF's chief of staff said they are, quote, close to dismantling the military system in the northern Gaza Strip. Palestinians in part of southern Gaza said they received evacuation notices today. As Israel prepares for the next phase of the campaign, Gaza is now cut off from the outside world. The territory's telecom provider said all communication services are down across the Gaza Strip due to a lack of fuel. The United Nations said today they were forced to stop sending food and other essentials to Gaza amid a communication blackout. Israeli officials say the country's war cabinet has approved letting two fuel trucks into Gaza per day to help meet the UN's needs. Hate on college campuses in the wake of the October 7th Hamas terror attacks. The Department of Education has launched investigations into seven schools after complaints about alleged anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The investigations include five anti-Semitism cases and two Islamophobia cases. The reports come from one 12 through K, 12, K through 12 school in Kansas and six colleges including Cornell, Columbia, and Cooper Union in New York. The Department of Education will make recommendations to the schools after the investigations. If they don't follow them, they could lose federal funding. 
The investigations were launched under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which says universities and schools have to provide a discrimination-free environment. No charges against President Biden expected. Multiple outlets report Biden won't face legal repercussions for keeping classified documents in his possession. The reports say he's likely only to face harsh criticism. The Wall Street Journal and CNN report that special counsel Robert Hur is not planning on charging Biden for keeping the documents. Hur and his team are reportedly working on a report summarizing the findings of their lengthy investigation. The report is expected to criticize Biden, but Hur likely plans to stop short of bringing charges. His report might come out before the end of the year. This comes after the special counsel's team issued multiple subpoenas, conducted interviews and more. The journal also reports that Hur recently interviewed Hunter Biden as part of the investigation into his father. Hunter Biden named his father's home as his address when classified documents were stored at the residence. Meanwhile, there is an update in a separate case regarding Hunter Biden. Special counsel prosecutors are using a California grand jury. That's according to a CNN report citing unnamed sources. The grand jury will be appointed in a federal investigation into the younger Biden's business dealings. It appears the case mainly focuses on Hunter's alleged failure to pay taxes. The president's brother, James Biden, reportedly received a subpoena in that case. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley now defending her proposed social media reform. She previously said people should have to disclose their real names when creating social media accounts. Some are criticizing her for that, calling it government overreach. Here's Haley on Fox News defending her stance. I have long said that we have to ban TikTok. And if you didn't know why, there's another example today. You have got, they are posting letters of Osama bin Laden's letter the week after the 9-11 attacks. And it is the justification for why he did it. This comes as Americans on TikTok this week dug out a writing by bin Laden, as you just heard, justifying the 9-11 attacks. Some are now praising the letter's message. Haley previously defended her idea to disclose names by saying people would think twice before posting something if their real names were disclosed. She said it would get rid of foreign bots. Nations such as China, Russia and Iran often use the bots online to sway public opinion in the U.S. and manipulate people. In other news regarding the presidential candidate, Haley secured multiple wins this week. She picked up key endorsements, emerged as the winner against President Biden in a new New Hampshire poll, and won a mock Iowa caucus. The influential Young Republican National Federation staged the mock caucus. Also this week, a bipartisan poll showed her beating out President Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. As the Republican primary field gets smaller, candidate Ron DeSantis is picking up supporters from South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who recently dropped out of the race. South Carolina is the first primary in the South on February 24th of next year. DeSantis today received 10 endorsements in South Carolina from former backers of Scott. They include two state representatives, as well as more than half a dozen municipal level elected officials. They had backed Scott before he shuttered his bid earlier this month. Both DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley are trying to pick up supporters and donors from Scott's campaign. DeSantis's campaign says he has a total of 68 endorsements from elected officials in South Carolina. And they say that's more than any other presidential candidate. 
Meanwhile, former President Trump has the endorsements of South Carolina's governor, Lieutenant Governor Senator Lindsey Graham, and several members of the state's U.S. House delegation. Voting rights groups are challenging the constitutionality of Missouri's new voter ID law. The law requires voters to present a photo ID to cast a regular ballot. People without a government-issued photo ID can cast provisional ballots if they return later that day with a photo ID. They can also vote if election officials can verify their signatures. The law requires the state to provide a free photo ID to those who need one. The Missouri League of Women Voters, NAACP, and two voters sued to overturn the law last year. The plaintiffs argue the law makes casting ballots unconstitutionally difficult for some voters. The National Conference of State Legislatures reports that 36 states request or require identification to vote. Arguments will be heard starting today. And in South Carolina, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. reiterating his vow to be on the presidential ballot in every state and in Washington, D.C. A recent New York Times Siena poll shows Kennedy making gains and leading both President Biden and President Trump among voters under 45 in six battleground states. Earlier, we spoke with Epic Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach, who's been following the candidate's campaign. Jeff, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. To begin with, what distinguishes Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s independent presidential campaign in terms of securing access to the ballot and across all 50 states, especially considering the requirements for independent candidates? Well, that's been his uh, main transition since announcing on October 9th that he was running as an independent. Now, instead of, obviously, if you get the Democrat nomination, you're automatically on the ballot, or, you know, he would have been on the ballot in the Democratic primaries. But on the general election as an independent, you have to go through the uh, guidelines, and each state is different. Uh, there's 50 states in Washington, D.C. So his intent is to be on the ballot in all 51 states, and he's shifting his strategy uh, to do that. And how is he shifting his strategy? What does he need to do? Well, different states have different guidelines. I mean, there's some, I think it's Tennessee requires only 275 signatures. So that's more like, a, seems more like a city council or a school board race. But there are some states that, you know, you need 150, 200,000 signatures. So it, it requires, it, it varies from state to state. And then there's going to be likely legal challenges because Democrats and Republicans are expected to try to keep him off ballots in some states. So, I mean, those are just two issues. It's a, it's a litany of uh, challenges. And he says it's going to take around $15 million overall for him to do the effort in D.C. ballots. Right. And in your coverage, have you come across any particularly notable challenges or criticisms of Kennedy's candidacy? Well, the main thing is, obviously, people who are uh, Trump supporters and those who are Biden supporters think that uh, his candidacy is going to shift the balance to the other competitor. So obviously, in this case, Trump uh, supporters think it could be another four years of of Biden, and uh, Biden supporters uh, they they cringe at the thought of uh, President Trump being back in office. So they're all looking at uh, 
uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the reason that might not happen, or that might happen. And he he's he's intent. He's uh, confident that he, you know he's not a spoiler. He he says he is going to win. He intends to win, and that's why he's running to win, not to spoil the election. And he's polling quite well with younger voters. What messages uh, do you think are re resonating with younger voters at this time? From him? Well, I, was in, I was in Columbia, South Carolina a couple of days ago for a voter rally, and he touched on that as uh, the fact that uh, under 40, voters under 45, according to a recent poll, he's leading President Trump and President Biden. And he believes the reason for that is he's just speaking out about uh, issues that matter to them. Like uh, he has the idea for the 3% mortgage for first time home buyers. And he is going to, uh, he says if uh, early in, in his uh, first term, he would make it more difficult for companies like BlackRock to uh, corporations to own single family homes. So issues like that, and then he talked about chronic uh, diseases, which is really impact, chronic diseases are really impacting uh, younger people. And he's focused on dramatically uh, reducing those. And those are issues that are resonating. Right, and you've mentioned how he's drawing voters from both Trump and Biden. What are the issues that are drawing voters towards him? Well, since he announced he was running in April, it's it's fascinating. Uh, that's why I love covering this campaign. It's just, it, it's so unique compared, obviously President Trump has his base, which is mostly conservative. President Biden has his base, which is, um, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, uh, liberal or far left. There's really nothing in between. And that's what uh, RFK Jr is reaching because he has some views that appeal to conservatives, some views that appeal to moderates, some views that appeal to uh, people who lean far left, but he focuses on unity and being able to accomplish goals and tasks and being, being able to do hard work because he, he, he has a track record of suing and winning against uh, corporations and government agencies. And that resonates with a lot of people on both sides too. And he, of course, the unity message appeals to everyone because a lot of people I talk to at these events, they just are tired of the uh, divisiveness and they, they want a, a different option than Trump or Biden. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff Lauterbach, reporter with The Ethic Times. Really appreciate it. Have you ever wanted to buy a car on Amazon? Well, soon you can. A new deal has been announced. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Concerns about the abuse of private data. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan has subpoenaed Bank of America for information about whether they shared customer data, data with the FBI. Specifically, the transactions of those in D.C. during the 2021 Capitol breach. The committee is investigating whether proper legal procedures were followed. 
Whistleblowers claim Bank of America shared information about customers who made transactions in the Washington area on or near January 6th, including those who brought firearms using Bank of America accounts. Bank of America argues they followed applicable laws, adding that it cooperated with the government's urgent efforts to deal with possible criminal activity around the presidential inauguration. A top U.S. banking regulator is facing mounting pressure over how he handled allegations of sexual misconduct among agency staff. Republican lawmakers are calling for the chair of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, to resign. They're also vowing to investigate the Wall Street Journal reported earlier this week that the banking regulator had failed to stop widespread harassment. FDIC Chair Martin Grunberg told Congress he was troubled by the revelations and vowed to take corrective action. Senator Sherrod Brown said the reports of misconduct were, quote, extremely concerning. The Democrat chair of the Senate Banking Committee called on the FDIC's Inspector General to investigate. Senator Elizabeth Warren said she also supported a full review of alleged workplace misconduct. Republican committee members John Kennedy and Tom Tillis called on Grunberg to resign. You can buy almost anything on Amazon and soon you'll be able to buy a car on the online shopping platform as well. One of the first cars that will be available for purchase next year is a Hyundai through an agreement with the South Korean automaker. Joining us now is NTD business host Don Ma. Tell us more about this, Don. Yeah, sure. This uh, new announcement, uh, it came yesterday and it seems like the vehicle uh, launch will be happening next year. Uh, so local dealers uh, will soon be able to show their cars directly to consumers on Amazon. Uh, and through the deal, right, the first car that uh, consumers will, will be able to buy is a Hyundai. Um, and like in typical Amazon fashion, it's going to be delivered to your door or you can pick it up uh, at a car dealership if you choose so. Uh, so the goal here really is to, you know, make the experience on the consumer uh, as seamless as possible, right? Uh, just like anything else you can buy on, on Amazon, uh, it's quite seamless. Uh, but, you know, in itself, uh, getting a car online, uh, it's not anything new. Uh, but what's uh, really uh, a breakthrough here in this case is that Hyundai will be able to have access to the millions of consumers that are on the Amazon platform. So that's uh, really the breakthrough here. Um, and whether they're going to uh, talk to other companies besides Hyundai uh, at this point is unsure. But uh, to start off, at least uh, we'll be able to get Hyundai's. Right. But Don, most states have laws that either limit or ban whether a seller can sell directly to a consumer. So how's Amazon dealing with that? Yeah, sure. So that's a great question, Steph. Uh, so the end seller of the vehicle is still going to be the dealer. Uh, Amazon's platform here is simply playing a middleman type of role in this whole process. And how Amazon is uh, dealing with these uh, laws is that uh, it's actually circumventing the situation by making sure that dealers remain an important part of the process. And in this process, consumers, of course, will be able to, you know, once they select a vehicle, they'll be able to configure it, uh, calculate price, uh, locate a dealer, 
to uh, complete the deal as well. And I think this uh, may have some potential here because I don't know about you guys, but personally, if I'm looking for uh, an item on, uh, for example, everyday item, uh, I might not actually go to a physical store anymore because uh, the hassle of thinking which store might have this thing that I want and which aisle in the store you have to go to. Uh, sometimes it's just aisle after aisle after aisle that you have to go through to find this. So simply, I would just go online, you know, type in the name and gets delivered to my door. I mean, I think it's more than just me in this camp, uh, you know, so I think it might have some potential here. Yeah, that's possible. All right, what's happening? What else is happening in the business world, Don? Yeah, sure. Uh, around 500,000 people were rejected, it seems like, for what they thought was their share of a $725 million class action meta settlement. Uh, this is a lawsuit actually that claimed Facebook parent meta violated their privacy. Um, so suppose you were a Facebook user in the United States between May 24th, uh, 2007 and December 22nd, 2022. In that case, you may be eligible for a cash payment. Uh, but the company that administers the settlement fund said it had rejected around 500,000 of them. Some, of course, due to fraud, the company Angeon has yet to finish processing the whole thing. So is, is the number of people getting rejected might actually grow in the, in the future. Uh, but besides that, Am uh, Apple is announcing some big changes to the iMessage on iPhone. Uh, the company unveiled new plans to adopt a messaging standard that will bring iMessage features to Android users. Uh, the new standard will add features like red receipt, typing indicators, uh, better support for group chats and higher quality media sharing across platforms. Apple plans to add support for rich communication services later next year as well. Uh, but don't expect the blue or green bubbles to go away anytime soon because one analyst uh, says that keeping the colors is actually an Apple marketing strategy that will likely continue. Um, and some good news for consumers, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan says consumers could see lower prices in the coming weeks and months with Walmart possibly entering a quote deflationary environment. We'll see on that. So McMillan says uh, the U.S. food industry may be heading into a period of deflation after three years of price hikes. Food prices have increased 25% since the pandemic started. All right, thank you so much, Don. Thank you. We're not sure if this will fit in Santa's sleigh, but Tesla's Cyber Squad is sure to be at the top of many Christmas lists. The $1,900 toy is back up for sale on Tesla's website after being recalled last year. At the time, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission said it did not meet safety regulations for a youth ATV. The latest model has a new warning label saying it is not for off-road use and is not a youth ATV. The CyberQuad can reach a speed of 10 miles per hour. It's designed for kids ages 9 to 12 with a maximum weight limit of 150 pounds. Coming up, China's tech giant Alibaba is seeing a major drop in value after its unexpected U-turn on plans to spin off its cloud business. What's behind the move? The boss of Samsung denied wrongdoing after South Korean prosecutors sought to put him in jail for five years. We'll have the details soon when we return. If you're flying for Thanksgiving, the TSA wants you to know you can bring most holiday foods on board. 
but there are certain foods that need to be checked. As a general rule, solid foods can fly with you. Anything that can be poured, spread, sprayed or pumped should be checked. So make sure your special gravy, cranberry sauce and wine go under the plane. The agency even has a special list on its MyTSA app that will tell you how to travel with most foods. And if you do bring it on board, make sure to keep it easily accessible. Food items frequently require additional screening at checkpoints. Paying for Thanksgiving dinner won't be as painful this year as in years past. It's getting less expensive thanks to lower turkey prices and cooling inflation. According to the American Farm Bureau Federation, the Thanksgiving meal of 12 classic items for 10 people will cost $61.17 on average. That's a 4.5% drop from last year's record high average of $64.05. However, it's still up 25% from 2019. The cheaper Turkey Day meal this year is due in large part to the falling prices of the most expensive item on the plate, the turkey itself. A 16-pound turkey costs $27.35 on average, down more than 5.5% from last year. And the Farm Bureau Federation expects turkey prices to drop even further. Speaking of Thanksgiving dinner, Baskin Robbins now has created a special ice cream flavor for the month. It's called Turkey Day Fixins, and it's said to taste just like its name. Baskin Robbins says the flavor is a combination of some of the sides you look forward to on Thanksgiving, such as sweet potato, autumn spices, swirls of cranberry sauce, and pieces of honey cornbread, all in one scoop. You can order Turkey Day Fixins for delivery through DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. And now you can eat even more chicken. Chick-fil-A is rolling out its new drone delivery system. Right now, it's only available at a few locations, like this one near Tampa, Florida. Customers can request the service through the Chick-fil-A app, but drone delivery is only available during certain hours and only within a certain distance. No word on if the cows are operating the drones. Is that rideshare hailing going to show up in time to get you to the airport for your flight to grandma's house? Lyft is promising it will during the holiday season if you schedule in advance. The company is launching an on-time pickup promise in many major markets. It works like this. Schedule your ride in advance. If your driver is more than 10 minutes late, you get 20 bucks in Lyft cash. If you aren't matched with a driver within 10 minutes, you get 50. And if you have to use another service instead, Lyft will give you up to 50 more in credit. To see if the promise is available where you live, look for it in the app. Money transfer app Venmo is rolling out a new feature called Venmo Groups, giving users the ability to track and split ongoing group expenses. Once members are added to a group, the app will automatically calculate the split costs for individuals. A group can have up to 30 members, so it works for small groups like a family and for larger groups like a sports team. Venmo says the feature will become widely available in the coming weeks. Apple is extending free access to its emergency SOS via satellite service to iPhone 14 users for an additional year. The announcement comes a year after it was launched. The service allows users to communicate with emergency services in areas where cellular signals and Wi-Fi are not available. The same technology can be used to summon roadside assistance and share location with friends and family using similar services. 
The emergency SOS via satellite service is also available on iPhone 15 models in 16 countries. A commercial ferry service in the Bahamas has been suspended following the death of an American tourist. A ferry departed New Providence on Tuesday with about 140 people on board. The double-deck catamaran was transporting tourists from Paradise Island to Blue Lagoon Island. The boat started to take on water about 30 minutes later and then sank. The Royal Bahamas Police Force says a 74-year-old passenger from Broomfield, Colorado died. Two others were hospitalized. The Bahamas Ministry of Energy and Transport suspended services provided by the ferry's operator pending a safety review. The Caribbean island of Dominica is creating a protected marine area for the endangered sperm whale. The mammals congregate off the western side of the island using the pristine blue waters as nursing and feeding grounds. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the project. Nearly 300 square miles will be turned into a reserve. Fewer than 500 sperm whales are estimated to live in the waters surrounding Dominica. Sperm whales have been hit by ships, entangled in fishing gear, and affected by agricultural runoff. Government of Dominica has realized that the sperm whales are also citizens of Dominica. These whales spend most of the year offshore the islands. In pre-whaling days, an estimated two million sperm whales roamed the ocean's deep waters. They were later hunted for lamp oil and machinery lubricant. Once the reserve is created, the Dominica Prime Minister will appoint an officer to ensure the area is respected. Visitors can still watch and swim with these majestic creatures. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The Whipsnade Zoo in the UK just welcomed a new family member. This desert antelope is fondly called Oryx because of his curved sword-like horns. Oryx left his home in Denmark to fulfill a crucial mission helping his species come back from the brink of extinction. The young male is surrounded by a herd of nine females, including Faye, who zookeepers think might be more his type. They're hoping to welcome new calves to the group soon. Oryx's move to the UK's biggest zoo north of London is part of an international breeding program for the extinct in the wild species. There are about three of those programs happening in other parts of the world, including North America. The aim is to ensure the herd remains genetically diverse so it can one day be reintroduced into the wild. What are the most popular and trendy pet names for 2023? Rover.com is out with its report. Here's the list. The top male dog names on the list should be familiar ones. Charlie beat out Max as the top most common male dog name for the first time in a decade. Cooper is the third most popular. The top three female names are common ones too. Luna, Bella and Daisy. As for the number one trending name for male dogs, it's Kelsey, inspired by Taylor Swift's latest love interest, Travis Kelsey. The Barbie movie also provided some inspiration. Ken is trending up by almost 80%. For trending female dog names, the U.S. women's national soccer team has a few contributions like Megan and Rapinoe and Dunn. Rover is the world's largest online pet marketplace, according to its website. The annual report comes from millions of pet names submitted by its users. All right, that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with any news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com.
and we'll be back with more stories on Monday.